This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Okay, well, it's, it's August, which means you're either rooting for the NFL preseason to go away or the Orioles season to end. So, Ron, you and I live in Baltimore. Which is it? Uh, I'm rooting for the Red Sox season to never end. You're on pace to win 116 games, my friend. That's like, that wasn't the question. Uh, I understand that, but that's the answer. That's like nearly a decade of Patriots going 12-4, and four, which I think they already did. Who cares about the birds? Goose, uh, I think I can get a direct answer from you. Uh, how much of these exhibition football games you actually watch? As little as possible. I watched the opening <laughs> drive of the Cowboys Raiders, and when the first team offense and defense left the game, I left the game. So Here's, did you. <laughs> hold it. Here's all you need to know. The Browns went 4-0 last preseason, that went 0-16 when the games counted. These games mean absolutely nothing. You, you know something, Goose? I, I always thought the only games that were worth seeing were the third week of preseason when starters, and get this, they actually played more than a couple series. How about you? I mean, you watch that third week? Uh, games, no. Halves, yes. The first half, third preseason game. That's all you need to see to know how your team's going to be that the season. This guy's, this guy's tough. Well, we're going to play everyone today, and good thing, too, because we have one of the front runners for the class of 2019 with us. That would be Denver cornerback champ Bailey. We also have Hall of Fame voter and ESPN national correspondent Sal Palantonio here to talk about his new book, Philly Special, the inside story of how the Eagles won their first Super Bowl championship. And Karen Garegian of the Boston Herald to give us her choice for the best New England Patriot. Not, I said not, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Ron, you work with Karen at the uh, Boston Herald. I'm guessing maybe Gino Capaletti or maybe Richard Seymour or maybe you. How about it? Well, I'd like to say it's me, but uh, but how do you deny the Duke? The guy was AFL's all-time <laughs> leading scorer, not only a kicker, but also a starting wide receiver for more than a decade. Uh, he was league MVP. Uh, a lot of people in New England don't understand why he's not already in. Famous, uh, you know, that's a familiar story. How about Art you, Goose Man? You've, let me quote you, Joe Namath. Vito Babe Parry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has a helmet autographed by him anyway well we're not going to have long to find out but first yeah first we're going to break this is the talk of fame network This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Hey, did you guys see that the New York Daily News Sports Department, or this what was once the New York Daily News Sports Department, had a reunion in New York City the other day? Ron, did you see that? I did. I did see that. Uh, you know, every East Coast city has a foliage and every ink-stained wretch has been in it. It's unbelievable. They're... Uh... <laughs> You know, one of the things that struck me in that thing was that I saw a picture of all those guys together. Yeah. The, the thing that came to mind was, spread out so the hedge fund guys don't get you with one shell. <laughs> well, I thought it was kind of cool. I saw that picture, too, and, and I and I knew a lot of people in there, and so did you guys. I mean, Gary Myers and Hank Gola come to mind. They were two of the most prominent. Goose was kind of sad. I mean, okay, not kind of, but real sad. Um, this was once a great sports department that, because of staff cuts, was gutted last month. From a staff of 35 to 9, including five writers, five writers. Goose, 
you lived in New York. You covered the sports there. How in the world do you cover that city with five guys? Let's see. You have two baseball teams in New York City, two football teams, two basketball teams, three hockey teams. Then you have Ivy League sports, high school sports. That's a minimum of nine writers right there. Nine divided by five doesn't produce a workable result for your daily readers. Yeah, it doesn't work. Well, as I said, it's sad, but uh, unfortunately, it's going on all around us. And Ron, honestly, you should know. I mean, the staff at the Herald was sliced, spliced, and diced earlier this right. year when it was sold. Sure. I mean, they lopped off a third of the new staff, uh, but in reality, it was more than that because some people chose to leave even after being you know, offered contracts with the new head fund owners, and uh, and few of them were replaced. You know, I mean, the good news for me personally in that case was that I finally had something in common with NFL players. Salary cap victim. Uh, you know, so now I know what it feels like when they come in and say, hey, you're not playing that. You're playing pretty good, but get out of here. Uh, you know. <laughs> so you're like Aaron Rodgers. Do away the salary cap. That's yeah, exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. Cap. <laughs> yeah, soft cap. Uh, okay, before we went to commercial, I was asking you guys about preseason or exhibition season football. And we're one week into it already. So who or what has caught your eye in the first week? Barkley, Saquon Barkley, Andrew Luck, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Goose, who? Like I said, I only watched one series of one preseason game last weekend, but the, but the highlights I saw, I like the poise and playmaking ability of Baker Mayfield, and I mm-hmm. love the arm strength of Josh Allen. If you want to focus well, on one thing this preseason, just watch the first-round quarterbacks, Mayfield, Allen, Josh Rosen, Sam Donald, Lamar Jackson. It's anyone's guess right now who will evolve into the John Elway of this class and who will become the Todd Blackledge. Uh, two guys struck me. Uh, Darnold's one of them because uh, I think he's going to make it hard uh, to justify sitting him down when the regular season uh, games begin. Um, yep. We all know the preseason is not the same as a regular season by any stretch, uh, but he's going to be playing well enough to uh, give the Jets hope, although I'm sure Todd Bowles will will blow that. He'd sit Joe Namath down. <laughs> uh, and the other guy that struck me is, is, is Saquon Barkley you yeah. know, limp, limping off. Uh, you know, that caught my eye. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> what could be worse than that? Now, this is allegedly a minor injury, if there is such a thing right. when you drafted that high. Uh, but it just gave you that reminder that uh, uh, we've many times saw team seasons end before they begin. Right. Uh, in right, pre-season. that's right. Yeah. And, and Goose, um, I know Hugh Jackson said he's going with Tyrod Taylor, quarterback, speaking of quarterbacks, and, and I think that's terrific, except this is a coach who won one game the past two years and really is lucky to have a job. Uh, you talk about Baker Mayfield's first pick of the draft, reigning Heisman Trophy champ, your favorite, favorite of Browns fans, and guaranteed with each Tyrod Taylor interception and Browns loss, they're going to be chanting for him. The Browns fans are going to want him. So how long before we see him? Well, I think ideally you can keep him on benches the entire rookie season. That's been the problem the Browns have had since their franchise was restored in 1999. They draft quarterbacks, and they rush them out of the field. The Browns lack the blocking, and the playmakers for them to succeed, which leads to failure and ruin. Tim Couch, Brady Quinn, Brandon Whedon, Johnny Manziel, Charlie Fry, Colt McCoy, all wound up playing as rookies. They're all smothered by the incompetence around them. Carson Palmer, Dante Culpepper, Chad mm-hmm. Pennington, Philip Rivers, and Aaron Rodgers were all first-round draft picks, all sat as rookies, all became pro bowlers. Patience is a marvelous tool in the development of a quarterback. Gooseman, it sounds to me like uh, sounds to me like you're doing what Dwight Eisenhower did. We're going to tie rod in that first landing boat on D Day in <laughs> Omaha Beach. He gets drilled, so it goes. <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> He's doing PR for Hugh Jackson. <laughs> well, that sense would be correct. 
Huge Ron, you, 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 you mentioned uh, Darnold, and and you know people in New York or, or Long Island, New Jersey doesn't matter. The Jets fans, whatever, uh, they're salivating over this guy. I'm thinking really after one start, one start, of course, they may be more of a Broadway Joe than Broadway schmo. So w- what do you expect of this guy, and and who opens the season at quarterback for them? I mean, is it going to be McCown or is it going to be Darnold? Sounds like you think it's going to be Darnold. Well, you know, like I said earlier, uh, 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 Todd Bowles has a way of of. Uh, uh, you know, you just you listen to him and say, what do you say? What does he mean? Uh, so I think he's going to go with a safe choice, which is always the veteran, uh, McCown. Look, on a decent team, McCown can win some games. Uh, are the Jets a decent team? I, w- no. I wouldn't count on it. Um, <laughs> so the the pressure no. will mount. <laughs> exactly. No is the answer. Uh, and it's going to mount pretty pretty quickly on, on, on Bulls. And I just got a feeling uh, he's the kind of guy who may just uh, dig his heels in. You know, and and say we're not going to do it, uh, and uh, that might be good for Darnold. Uh, but this time next season, Todd Bowles will be watching Darnold play from some other place, other than <laughs> right. where the Jets right. are. Right. Hey, Gooseman, I, I know we've been talking about rookie quarterbacks, but your guy in Dallas—I mean, Dak Prescott, your guy in Dallas—he uh, made news by saying he thought players should stand for the national anthem and got some flack for it. But he also got the endorsement from Hall of Fame quarterback Troy Aikman. Who said, "Listen, the guy's got a right to his opinion, and you know what? I support him for having the guts to take a stand." Yeah, Prescott didn't say all players should stand for the anthem. He said one player would stand for the anthem himself. He said there's mm-hmm. a time and place for protest, and he did not believe the national anthem was that time or place. So he was going to stand at attention during the anthem. He wasn't talking about 1,300 other NFL players. He was talking about one player. He was stating a personal belief. Aikman supported him by saying Prescott and everyone else was entitled to his own beliefs. Unfortunately, some have uh, felt free to twist his words and his message. Yeah. Well, Dak Prescott or Josh McCown's not going to the Hall of Fame, but I know someone who might. All rise. Here comes the judge. And not only was the subject of a state your case about this week on our website, talkoffamenetwork.com, but he's with us today, and that's former cornerback Champ Bailey. Now, Let's get something straight, guys, right off the top here. Champ Bailey's going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You know it. I know it. Everyone knows it. Could be 2019. Could be 2020. It doesn't make any difference. He's going guaranteed. Now, the question, of course, is whether he's, Ron, a first ballot choice. And the class that includes Ed Reed and Tony Gonzalez, two guys who are certain to be, Ron, First, First ballot, ballot off. <laughs> That's right. So, look, I mean, uh, Champ Bailey has the credentials. Um, 12 Pro Bowls, five All-Pro nominations, first team All-Decade, and member of the Broncos' 50th anniversary team. But there's a growing number of qualified guys who have been waiting at the door and can't get in because we keep on putting in first ballot choices. And by we, I mean the Pro Football Hall of Fame Board of Selectors. We had three this year, and, and we could have three in 2019. And with a modern era class that allows only five each year, that leaves only two spots each year. In other words, four this year and and, and next year. That would be four combined. Okay, you say, all right, so what? Uh, Put in the most deserving. Okay, I I understand that. But it's a tough call because how can you tell me that a Champ Bailey is more deserving than, say, Ron, a Ty Law, uh, who had more interceptions and Super Bowl titles, or an Alan Fanica, or Kevin Mawai. I mean, Fanica, nine Pro Bowl um, selections, eight All-Pros. Uh, Kevin Mawai, seven Pro Bowl selections, I mean, All-Pro selections. And that was first-team All-Pro. I mean, all were top 
10 choices last year. I'm talking about Law, Law Fanica, and Mawai. With Mawai and Law top 10 the last two years, and, and they're waiting their chance. Now, Champ Bailey agreed, was a great cornerback for a long time, and that counts for a lot. And with the way the board has swung the last couple of years, I'd be surprised, honestly, if he were not a first ballot choice. But that could keep others waiting another year when, frankly, they don't deserve it. So Champ Bailey gets in, as he should. The only question is, when? Next year or one year later? So, Clark, the other question of the day, Bailey or Law? Should we address that to Ron? I mean, Ron's going to present him. I mean, honestly, I think all things being equal, I'd probably lean, just lean towards Bailey. I mean, first team all decade where Law was not, but all things aren't equal. I mean, Ty Law's been waiting, and Law's more interceptions, 53 to 52, and more championships than Champ Bailey. He's also lead the league twice in picks where Bailey did it once, but but that's because they weren't throwing at Bailey with him giving up no touchdown passes in 2009. So, Goose, in answer to your question, probably a little bit towards Champ. Maybe we can ask Jeff that question, Goose. He's going to be here, and he's going to be here very soon. So don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere, guys. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. In case you missed it, uh, the San Francisco 49ers announced last week that they're going to build statues of quarterback Joe Montana and wide receiver Dwight Clark outside Levi Stadium in Santa Clara with the two 23 yards apart. And you think, 23 yards apart? Why? Well, that's the distance between them when Dwight Clark made the catch in the 1981 NFC Championship game, which I think is uh, a terrific and really overdue idea. And and they're going to have players also wear the number 87 decal for Dwight on their helmets this season, a tribute to me to the late and great wide receiver. Clark Everson Wallace is thankful that for once he will not be depicted amongst the statues. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what, Goose? When, when I was at that uh, memorial service, people said, is Everson Wallace here? And I said, I don't know. And I didn't see him, but he wasn't there. But, um, Ron, I, I think this is sort of appropriate, don't you? I mean, uh, yeah. I know we talked about Dwight last week, but uh, put those two guys out there. I mean, that's what, to me, when I think of the 49ers, that's the first thing I think of, the catch. Oh, sure. I mean, the catch changed pro football history and began to yeah. write the history of the 49ers, uh, uh, great teams. Uh, you know, that moment's never going to be duplicated. We were all there. Uh, and, it, you know, it was it was fantastic at the moment. And, and it, you know, certain plays, there aren't that many of them, but certain plays, they, you just never forget them if you saw them. Yeah, that's right. And that's one of the uh, one of those kind of plays, you know, and it's uh, I think it's great and very well thought out with their Niners are doing. It's just sad, obviously, that, that – uh, Dwight can't be there to make that catch one more time. That would have been the yeah, right. end, right. fitting end. Right. Uh, anyway, well, I, I think the 49ers got this one right, as I said, by not letting anyone forget the impact of one of their greatest and most memorable players. And speaking of memorable and great players, guys, you like that segue? Um, yeah. You have to pick one this week at the annual senior committee meeting, and that's going to be on Friday in Canton. I know you're both going there. Um, you have one choice. And both of you are on the five-man committee that's going to be there in Canton on Friday. So, um, Goose, give our listeners an idea what you're looking at. I think they look at this thing and go, oh, how, do, how do they do it? Give us an idea what you're looking at there. Well, we're looking at a slate that includes about a dozen all-decade players. And we get to nominate one for the class of 2019. <laughs> it is anyone's guess who comes out. All I know, it's impossible to make a bad choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, look, it's very tough. Uh, I think there's 23 finals this year, which is much bigger than usual. Uh, 23? Yeah, yeah, much more than the Wow. Norm. And, oh uh, you know, and you God. could literally pick, but it, just, it speaks to, you know, how many people are 
deserving and, and stuck in the great miasma that is the senior committee. But uh, you could literally pick any one of them and feel fine about it. Uh, but unfortunately, what happens instead is you pick one of them and you feel awful for the other 22 guys that you left yeah. uh, behind. You know, there's guys from the 30s all the way through the 90s on this year's list. So it will not be uh, 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 easy. And that's why, for me, it's so important to respect the queue in the regular committee because you have to... Uh, uh, be cognizant of, of what the consequences are of, uh, of of what you're doing. And you have to, in the senior committee, really spread it around amongst uh, 32 teams because every team has one or two or three or, in some cases, more guys that uh, they firmly believe belong in there. And you, you, you have to be conscious of what you've done in the past. Hang on for a second, Ron. I'm looking up my asthma. Let's see. A highly <laughs> unpleasant or unhealthy smell or vapor. Okay. All right. I got it. <laughs> Yeah. Or my asthma, which I don't actually have. Some people do. That's all right. The thing is, I, I, when you come out of there, I can't think of a more difficult job because when you come out, people are saying, oh, you got to be kidding me. How come this guy? How come that, not that guy? Well, why did you do that? You, you, you guys never, you know, in, in the minds of a lot of people, you never get it right when, in fact, they don't realize how difficult that job is. I mean, we ran a poll in the past week on our website, talkoffamenetwork.com, asking readers to pick the one senior who should be chosen for the class of 2019. Right. And with someone whom I believe, and I'm, I guess I'm not, I'm, I'm not giving away any secrets here, but I don't believe would be chosen. And that's former quarterback Roman Gabriel. And yet he won, I think, Goose in, in, in a, a runaway there. But Ron, I mean, that's how difficult this is. You're looking at it, so many guys and you could throw right. them at a, a dart at a board and come up with anyone. And you're right. They'd all be deserving. You're right. I mean, Rick's poll is, is, was a great sort of educational tool, I think, for a lot of people. I think he went through 48 players. Uh, and, you know, people are all over the place uh, uh, picking them. And it's a great example of, of the problem. I mean, there are players uh, uh, like Roman Gabriel that fans haven't thought about in decades. Which yeah. is why That's sort of why we're around and doing this show to a great extent. That's right. Uh, and they're deserving guys. And, you know, I always think of uh, and use this guy as an example, and I, as I have in the past, how about Cecil Isabel, the only all-decade quarterback yeah. right. not in the Hall of Fame. What did he do wrong other than throw enough balls to Don Hudson that he was in the Hall of Fame? I mean, I'd really think Hudson got in there, but catching balls from somebody. Uh, yeah. And the list goes on, and Roman Gabriel is certainly uh, uh, on it. And as you know, Clark, one of my personal favorites for a kindness he did to me when I was a young kid coming up and, and, and wrote him a letter. Uh, and he wrote me a very encouraging letter back about playing football that I still have to this day in a, in a scrap. Roman Gabriel. Roman Gabriel. Yeah, that's it was right. very encouraging yeah. to a kid he didn't know me from six bits. And whom we also had on this program, I think, about three or four months ago. And he was great. Right. Um, so, so Goose, man, I mean, you have one player. As I mentioned, you guys have one player to choose from all these qualified seniors from uh, that miasma. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, but first of all, I mean, before you do that, please, can you tell our listeners what constitutes a senior candidate? A lot of people, my brother, so I don't even know what a senior candidate is. Please tell them how you... You come to a decision there, and, and also what constitutes a senior candidate. When a player retires, he has a, essentially a 25-year window of eligibility. There's a five-year waiting period, then a 20-year period where he's a, a, a moderate-era candidate. You know, if a player passes through those 25 years without election, as Joe Jacoby and Roger Craig did in 2018, mm-hmm. they move right. into the senior pool. And it's more competitive there for spots than the modern-era spots. There are 66 all-decade players currently in the senior pool, and we get to chip away at that list this season with one, count them, one nomination. Oh, oh. <laughs> and, and who's in the room with you guys, Ron? Is there, is there, there are consultants, correct? 
Uh, yeah, um, it varies. There's usually two two guys. Uh, I believe Ron Wolf will be one of them this year, who's very good because he's very mm-hmm. uh, into the history of the game. Um, right. You know, uh, and, and you know, and Goose. I just wanted to touch on it. Goose has hit an important thing. You know, the '66 All-Decade players in the pool now. So we're going to take one guy out, and probably three guys are going to fall in who are All-Decade <laughs> players. So you know, you just you know, you feel like you're constantly underwater. Um, and I'm sure these players feel the same way, and most of them have lost hope, uh, and understandably so. And Goose, those consultants like Ron Wolf, how much do you rely on them and what they have to say about each individual? Well, they provide their thoughts on each of the finalists and give us their opinions of their Hall of Fame worthiness. And they're, they're a big part of the decision-making process. They give us, give us mm-hmm. kind of a roadmap because they keep the comments over the years from all the consultants that have been through in the room about players. So right. they give us insight you can't find on the Internet. Yeah, no, I know. And, and that's the thing that sort of gets me is when you come out with a name or two names every other year and people go, oh, my God, how did they do this? How did they come up with this? They have no idea how much time you put into it. And, and the research of not just the consultants but the people in that room, the, the five people in that room that constitute that subcommittee. Um, Goose, I, I know you can't divulge the names of the finalists, but in your minds, and I'm talking about in your mind's eye, is, is there a favorite or two going into the room without naming that person or those persons? Well, I've gone on the record as saying I believe Johnny Robinson is the best player not in Canton. Now that Kramer's mm-hmm. in, I think Robinson's the guy. He's been a finalist in the senior uh, pool in the past. You know, so has Elsie Greenwood and Cliff Branch, two players who have been squeezed in the past by franchises with numbers issues from their right. 1970s decade of dominance. Joe Jacoby, Roger Craig are two other prominent names I would expect to be discussing. Oh, really? Even though we just finished with them as modern era candidates, because I thought they sort of go to the back of the queue. Yeah, but they're still fresh in mind of the voters. Ah, okay. Ron, uh, do you have a favorite or two going into that? Um, well, you know, uh, I do, but, you know, one of the things I did, uh, uh, my own sort of personal consultant, uh, I, I spoke with uh, Upton Bell, Burt Bell's okay. son and uh, former personnel director of the Colts during their, many of their glory years, uh, and then GM of the Patriots, uh, and I ran the names by them. And this is interesting, you know, Goose just said, you know, he thinks Johnny Robinson is the best player. I, I said, uh what do you think? He said, well, they all belong in. But Elsie Greenwood is clearly the one. You've got to put him in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, wow. even guys, <laughs> you just talk to somebody else and they can say, well, Bobby Dillon, how the Bobby Dillon done it? Uh, you know, and, and a lot of uh, readers, and, and no disrespect to them, will say, who the hell's Bobby Dillon? You know, you mean the guy yeah. who used to be on TV? No, that was Matt Dillon. Uh, that was Highway 61 <laughs> Revisited, Bobby Dillon. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, so uh, uh, for, for me, you know, I have uh, a guy named Duke Slater who I just mm-hmm. think is a tremendously, he's a large historical figure who somehow uh, was, you know, a finalist uh, his first two years eligible and then disappeared off the face of the earth. So, um, you know, but any of these guys on the list, I mean, you get, would you be, if you put Johnny Robinson in, uh, you, we should be dancing in the street. Should have been in yeah, absolutely. a yeah, long time absolutely. ago. Um, but a lot of other guys, you know, you look at and you say the same thing about them. Guys from the past that most people won't remember and guys as recent as Jacoby. Well, since you mentioned Johnny Robinson, Goose, you did as well. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about him, both by us and, and then by Hall of Fame wide receiver Lance Allworth on a recent Talk of Fame Network podcast. I, I know we've talked about this before on the show, but you look at his credential, Goose, man, and, and I can't, can't believe he isn't in already, and you can't either. So I'm going to ask you, as I have, I think, in past weeks, what's the hang-up? <laughs> well, I think there was an AFL-NFL little media war going on back when the committees were formed. When the committee was forming, the two leagues merged. There were more NFL teams than AFL teams. So basically, the NFL players had more votes going into the meetings than the AFL players. And I mm-hmm. think that's what, what hurt Robinson. 
Uh, he was caught up in that AFL-NFL bias. He was a finalist for seven years and disappeared. And now it's, I think it's time to, wrong to fix, fix a wrong. Okay, and Ron, your guy, Duke Slater, first African-American lineman in the NFL. What's the hang-up? Why is he still on the outside looking in? Well, you know, it's it's, it's really amazing to me uh, because you're right. I mean, he was an all-pro, uh, I believe, every year but one that he played. Uh, he was so good to win the league. Uh, in a, uh, informally boycotted black players. Uh, they decreed that Duke was an Indian. <laughs> he kept playing, which to me says everything you need to know about the greatest of the guy. Suddenly he became, you know, Jim Thorpe. Uh, you know, how good do you have to be, you know, uh, as I say, he was a finalist the first two years uh, and then never came back again, you know, which is shocking because, you know, usually this year if you get to be a finalist, I mean, these days you keep coming back, but that wasn't the case. And uh, hopefully we'll do the right thing by him at some point in time because he is one of those guys you cannot write the history, in my opinion, of pro football without the name Duke Slate. Well, good luck to you guys and good luck to all the seniors on the ballot. Be interested to talk to both of you next week about what happened. In the meantime, we're going to be talking to another Hall of Fame candidate. That'd be Champ Bailey right after this. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, Champ Bailey doesn't need much of an introduction. Most of you remember him as the shutdown Denver Broncos cornerback who was named to 12 Pro Bowls, 5 All-Pro teams, an All-Decade team, and the Broncos' 50th anniversary squad. Now, what you may not know is that he's a candidate next year, meaning 2019, for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, where, if not next summer, but soon, and I mean very, very soon, you'll find his bust in Canton. Champ, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Great great being on the phone with you guys. Okay, let's start out with the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mentioned it. How much do you think about it, and how meaningful will it be when you are elected? Uh, well, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to answer that question. You know, without a doubt, it's hard not to think about it. You know, people constantly remind you of it. And, you know, my family, who is probably my biggest fan club, they're constantly reminding me about it. So, you know, it's and, – and with the Super Bowl being here in Atlanta, it's kind of, it's kind of a no-brainer that people constantly come up to me about it. And, you know, it's definitely a dream of mine. To be in the Hall of Fame definitely was a goal of mine when I started playing. You know, and here I am. Obviously, everything's out of my control at this point, so I try not to dwell on it or overthink things, and I just let the process play out. Okay, well, let me clue you in on this. Only five cornerbacks have ever been elected in their first years of eligibility. You could become the sixth. So I guess I'm wondering, does first ballot carry a special significance with you or not? Because it does with some of these guys. Does that carry any special significance with you? Well, it's hard to say it doesn't, you know. I mean, of course it does. It's, you know, your first year of recognition and eligibility and you make it. Yeah, that's special. You know, I think, uh, you know, just to speak on T.O. a little bit, I mean, obviously it meant something for him to be first ballot. And I think we all know that, you know, what he did on the field it definitely allowed him to be first ballot. So I can understand the disappointment in that. So, 
Yes, it means something. Will I will I be mad if I don't? Uh, I'll be a little mad, but it, it'll have to get over it, you know. But it doesn't mean I won't be eligible the next year. It's just it is what it is. Jim, speaking of T.O., I have a two-part question for you. First, would you attend your own induction or would you have your own celebration in Athens? And secondly, what did you think of T.O. not showing up for his induction? Well, I can't, I've never been, so I can't really speak on, you know, what it's like and what he missed out on. You know, I think uh, one thing I got to respect about T.O. is, you know, his conviction. And, you know, when he made the decision, he stuck with it. And I can respect that. You know, I don't think we all have to like it. But, you know, the fact that he didn't go, really, who did he hurt? I mean, I really don't know. <laughs> he didn't bring any physical harm. That's his decision. So it's something I can live with, and I think everybody else should. Would you go to your induction? Oh, yeah. I mean, I plan I plan on it. You know, if I'm lucky enough to be voted, I definitely plan on being there. You know, it's really more about the guys that came before me. You know, and that's what would be special to me because – I've never been actually in Canton, so to be there for the first time and to meet all these guys I grew up watching and idol, idolizing, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a no-brainer for me to be there. I'm sure you've heard about the alleged prejudice Ball has against Broncos. Is that a concern at all for you? <laughs> Not really. You know, I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. The first year I got to Denver, I think that was when Elway got voted in. And it was a little little funny that that was the first Bronco, and it, it was just weird. You know, like, whoa, I just came from the Redskins. I think they had 100, and I come here, and they don't have any. You know, so it, it was just it was just funny approaching that and, and seeing that. But since then, you know, Zimmerman, Troy Little, you know, Terrell Davis, these guys have gone in, and rightfully so. And I just think it just took a while. And these guys started something, and, you know, the domino effect, it, it will continue. And hopefully I get in this year. Every player seems to have uh, their own nemesis, and oftentimes it's not uh, who the public might think it was or sports writers might think it was. Uh, for you, who was the toughest uh, wide receiver that you had to cover and, and why? Wow. You know, I, I can really go on and on about who was tough. You know, and I, you know, I, I got to give respect to guys who don't mention it or talk about a lot. Jimmy Smith, Eric Moles, you know, uh, Chad Johnson. I mean, all these guys were tough, but what really made the guys tough for me were the quarterbacks. Marvin Harrison, having Peyton Manning, toughest matchup I've ever had. You know, that was that was easily the one that stands out because Peyton was so accurate. And if you're all over Marvin, Peyton knows to throw the ball away from you. So, you know, I got a lot of respect for my receivers, but there's so many guys that were so tough. The quarterbacks were really separated them. When you know you talked a little earlier about uh, first ballot Hall of Famer and and uh, um, I was sort of have a, a saying when we talk about that that the, uh, the last guy in medical school is called a doctor just like the first guy uh, and, I've ta- yeah. I've ta- and I've talked to a lot of Hall yeah. of Famers and I've asked them have you ever been asked what ballot you got in on and every one of them says no uh, so yeah. is it really as exactly. important as it seems to have late uh, become because I think of Mike Haynes as one of the greatest defensive backs I've ever seen he went in I think it took him three times. Um, is it been a uh, sort of outside creation champ that's now made this thing bigger than maybe it should be? Well, maybe you know, but it's, it's more of about a it's more about a thing that that time that moment in time you know when you actually are eligible and you feel like you know objectively speaking that you should be in and you should be voted in and maybe in that moment you're disappointed and mad but 
you know, I think for T.O., he carries his emotions a little different. So <laughs> I can understand him being ticked off a little differently because he's always carried himself that way, you know. And, you know, I, I just respect that because he's always stuck by what he said and, you know, the moves he's made. But for me, yeah, it, it means something. It would probably mean something in that moment and it'd be a little disappointing. I don't know if I would do the things he did, but, you know, every man has his own choices to make. <laughs> one, one, one follow-up question to that. I remember uh, one year Gary Zimmerman didn't get in, and uh, Mark Schlereth, who I know, you know, saw me and just was up and down me all over the place. I'll get Zimmerman nightly. You know, he made it sound like I was standing at the door stopping Zimmerman from coming in, which I was not. But uh, but when he got all done with his rant, I had to, happened to have the list of Hall of Famers, and I said, well, I'll tell you what, which one of these guys that we just voted in would you throw out? And he said, well, I'm exactly. not saying that. And I said, well, that's the deal. There's only five chairs, you know, <laughs> I mean, exactly. for you to sit down. Exactly. So, do you look at it as, as sometimes the way we do? Because uh, as, as voters, a lot of times we leave the room feeling badly for the people we didn't put in more than we feel good for the people we did because there's more, you know, there aren't enough slots, I guess. Do, do you sort of look at it the same way and say, Jesus, just aren't enough slots for the for the guys that deserve to go in? Yeah, it's tough, and that's what makes you know the Hall of Fame so exclusive. I mean, it, it you just can't make it where everybody gets in, else it wouldn't be as exclusive as it is. So I understand that, and I respect it. And you know, like I said, I I objectively think I should be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but it's not up to me at this point. So <laughs> you know, that's just how I think, and you know, I have to live with whatever decision the voters make, and you know, it is what it is, man. Champ, I'm wondering, you know, we ask people uh, who are on this program, Hall of Famers or prospective Hall of Famers, um, for signature plays. And, and when I think of you, the first play that comes to mind, of course, is that 100-yard interception return of Brady in the 2005 playoffs at that game. Yeah. Um, and remember, you running down the sidelines, and it's a two-part question. A, would, would that, that be the one play that you would single out for your career if we were talking to some uh, Hall of Fame voters now and said, hey, here's one play, would that be the one? And B, how many times have you asked yourself, why in the world could I'm just gone one more yard. <laughs> you know, it wasn't more about what I didn't do at the end than it was about what Ben Watson did that whole play. Yeah, so, right. And, <laughs> you know, it, it's just unfortunate for me. I was on the other end of it. You know, it, you know, I haven't dwelled on it much. So, you know, it is it's a play in, in history. It's definitely one of those plays that does stick out. You know, because when did you see a 100-yard return, not being touchdown? But at the yeah. same time, we won that game, so the end feeling was very good. So, you know, we, we put the Patriots out of the playoffs, and, yeah, you, you know, did. it definitely was a high in my career. Jeff, you mentioned uh, how Marvin Harrison used to give, give you fits. <clears throat> Can you compare Harrison yes. with both Moss and Terrell Owens? Say it again? Excuse Can you me? compare uh, Harrison, Moss, and Owens? You know, that's, it, it, what's crazy is they're all different. You know, I think you, when you look at Marvin, he was the quicker, you know, more precise route running. I mean, he's, and he was tough to deal with because he was smart. He played outside the numbers 90% of the time. You knew where he was going to be, and it was still hard to stop. T.O., I mean, the thing about T.O., you know he works hard all week because there's no way you get out there and run those routes as good as he does and break tackles. I mean, he's, he's a beast. I mean, he was he was Brandon Marshall and all these big receivers before any of them had a name for themselves. I mean, that's what T.O. was. Now, Randy, one of a kind, freak athlete. I mean, fortunate enough for me, every time I covered him, he didn't have a great quarterback to throw him the ball. So 
the year he was with Brady, Brady got hurt that season. They had Castle when we came, and then I got hurt in that game. So I never really had to worry about Moss with a great great quarterback. Fortunate enough for me, I, I I pass all tests when it comes to covering Moss, but we all know what Moss was and how he dominated when he had somebody getting him the ball. <laughs> what cornerbacks did you kind of model yourself after or study uh, as you were developing your own style? You know, not a lot before I got to the league, but once I got in the NFL, I was fortunate enough to have Dale Green, you know, instantly. You know, Tom Hayes, our DB coach, tells me, you're, you're with him all day. He teaches, He's teaching me everything. And and one thing about Daryl that I always carried over, and I also carry over to guys I teach now, is your hands are great, your feet are better. And he would always say that, and, and it sunk in, because I don't care what position you play, it all starts with your feet. And if your feet are great, everything else follows. And regardless if he was a 5'8 corner, I was a 6'1 corner. That carried over. It didn't matter your body type. So I was fortunate enough to have somebody like that teaching me the game. Well, speaking of the Redskins, uh, I remember when you were playing with them, and at one point you said you didn't want to be franchised, and then, of course, you were traded. Aaron Rodgers in the past week has said he would do away with a franchise tag. Would you, too? Yeah, I mean, it's really for the club's protection. I mean, it doesn't do anything sure. for the player. <laughs> so I'm pro player 100%. So, yeah, you have to do away with it. But, you know, will, we, will it be one of the main topics when the CBA, CBA is discussed? I doubt it. <laughs> you know, there's so many other issues. How do you even put that at the forefront of the conversation? So I don't ever see it changing. Okay. Jeff, we've got about a minute left here. Uh, did you develop a relationship at all with Pat Boland during your time in Denver? Yes, uh, early on. I mean, you know, when when we got there in in '04, I mean, I, I basically looked at it to his face and told him, you know, this is I'm here to win you some games, and I would not disappoint you. And I and I just hope that I fulfilled that for him. And you know, before he came down with Alzheimer's, and you know, and he was he's been ill for the past few years. I mean, he was very active in the locker room. I mean, we would have college pickums every week. I mean, just little things that he would do with the guys on the team, being that he had no relationship with anybody except being the owner. I mean, he, he was just that guy that, you know, he was part of the team. I mean, he was the team. And everybody felt that he was running that organization first class. I mean, that's just what you have to appreciate about when you step in that organization. There's not one like it around the league. I mean, unique. I mean, and it it definitely trickled down from him to the bottom, to the bottom guy on that on that uh, employee list. You know, Pat Bowling's fingerprints all over that organization. Hey, champ, we got to run, but thanks so much for the time, and see you one day in Canton. Yes, sir. It's up to you guys. So it's, it's not my choice, man. It's not my choice. One day I will be there. I know it. You will. <laughs> you will. Thanks, champ. <laughs> all right, guys. Quarterback champ Bailey, a candidate for the Halls Class of 2019. Up next is the Two Minute Drill. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. SB Nation AM. There's headlines that just don't seem to make sense, and this is one of them. Pro Gamer dumps world's sexiest weather girl to focus on gaming. I respect the willpower of this guy, because I know for a fact this is something I could never do. I could, what, dump the world's sexiest weather girl? Yep. Would be a profi- video no, no, game I, player. I could be a professional video game video, player. Okay. That would be fantastic. I'm going to have to, no, I don't want to get distracted here, but... You right. would be. Wow! Wow! Call of Duty must be an awesome video game. <laughs> it must be the greatest video game ever in the history of mankind. What is he doing? 
I've been addicted to video games. I've never been this addicted to video games. Wow. Come on, man. SB Nation AM with Tony D. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9 Eastern on SB Nation Radio. If business, pleasure, or sports fandom takes you to Houston, Dallas, Austin, Fort Worth, or San Antonio, check out CultureMap.com to get the scoop on the local favorites. From the best restaurants, bars, pubs, and clubs to the biggest sights and sounds each city has to offer, CultureMap has it all. Just head over to CultureMap.com. The expert team personally reviews and visits each spot to make sure you get the best experience. And if you're coming back, sign up for free CultureMap updates at CultureMap.com. If business, pleasure, or sports fandom takes you to Houston, Dallas, Austin, Fort Worth, or San Antonio, check out CultureMap.com to get the scoop on the local favorites. From the best restaurants, bars, pubs, and clubs to the biggest sights and sounds each city has to offer, CultureMap has it all. Just head over to CultureMap.com. The expert team personally reviews and visits each spot to make sure you get the best experience. And if you're coming back, sign up for free CultureMap updates at CultureMap.com. This is the Sports Grind. What makes more sense than Spurs Toronto on Christmas Day? None of these matchups make more sense than that. But you know what? The league don't look at Toronto like that, and the league damn sure don't look at San Antonio like that because San Antonio's poo-pooed in the face of the league for years and told the league, we don't care about national televised games. We will rest our entire team on national televised games. Where that is not what San Antonio Spurs is about. So you have the Spurs who have shunned national televised games going all the way back to 2013. And then you have a guy whose camp thinks he's some superstar without having to do the superstar things. Both get left out on Christmas Day. Don't talk to me about Kawhi ever deserving no 219 because all the other big dogs that I listed, those guys, people, you getting, you trying to get in front of your TV to see those guys. And those guys are going to be out in front and doing stuff and doing commercials and doing things that come along with wanting $100 million from peak. Tune into the Sports Grind, weekdays from 3 to 5 Eastern, only on SB Nation Radio. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Wow, we come out of commercial, and now comes this. That's the two minute warning. That means we're on to the two-minute drill. So, guys, let's get going. I didn't recognize the Browns Hall of Fame bus. It's supposed to be Ray Lewis. People didn't either, I'm sure. So who is it? According to Twitter, it was Warren Moon, Joe Dumars, or Damon Wayans. <laughs> I don't know how Jerry Lewis comes to mind, but I'd vote for Jerry Lee Lewis. He should have a bus somewhere. Okay, what does Ray Lewis tell his grandkids when they ask, Grandpa, who is that? He points to the bus, bus of Dick Butkus and tells him that's the greatest middle linebacker ever. Played. <laughs> I doubt it from what he told us a few weeks ago, but I think he's going to say, that's me when I was young, kids. <laughs> Darrell Owens' speech at UT Chattanooga ran nearly 40 minutes. If he can run a 4-4-40, why can't he make a 20-minute speech? There are no cameras watching him run the 40. Cameras tend to slow everything down. <laughs> uh, because he didn't have to. He made his own rules, as usual. Owens worked out for the CFL last week. Why show up there and not at Canton? I'm guessing his next quest will be election and snubbing of the CFL Hall of Fame. <laughs> That's easy, Clark. One pays you money, the other costs you money. <laughs> exactly. Hall of Fame boycotts, beginning of a trend or T.O. anomaly? Anomaly. Everything he does is an anomaly. <laughs> exactly. T.O. proved once again he's one of a kind, thankfully. So what's the first team to boycott the Hall of Fame game? The next team that signs T.O. 
how quickly we forget. Two already have two years ago when they lined the field with slip and slide paint. Yeah, I remember that. You're the Hall of Fame Special Events Director. Who do you book for next year's musical act? The Beatles. If someone's going to stiff your induction weekend, make it a bigger name than T.O. <laughs> no, in the NFL, in the Hall, anybody who will do it for free. <laughs> how soon before Randy Moss's tie hits the market? How soon can you print them up? <laughs> I don't know, Clark, but my guess is it won't be available on the police, police benevolence website. I'd agree with you there. Uh, what happened when Randy Moss showed up in his hometown of Rand, West Virginia? He drew about the same size crowd that T.O. drew for his celebration in Chattanooga. <laughs> I would assume Rand gave him a hand. Heck, he's the guy who put that burg on the map. What draws more fans, the NFL, Red Sox Nation, Premier League Soccer, or the Meg? Until the Cowboys start winning Super Bowls again, it's the Premier League. Ha! Forget it. Red Sox forever. Even Yankee fans are watching. That's the end of the that's the end of our first hour, but stay where you are. We have the class of 2019, the best patriot not in the hall, and ESPN Sal Palantonio coming up in the second half. So stay, stay where you are. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome back to hour number two of the Talk of Fame Network. I'm Clark, along with Rick and Ron. And guys, I saw something recently I didn't think I'd ever see, at least not now. And that's this. The NFL, specifically... The L.A. Rams and New Orleans Saints will have male, yes, male cheerleaders on the sidelines this year. Honest. True story. Well, then again, I guess if you can have them in college, you can have them in the pros, right? So what do you think about this? Goose, start with you. Good? Bad? Ugly? What? I'm okay with it. We had co-ed cheerleaders back when I was in college almost 50 years ago. Glad to see the NFL is finally catching up with the political correctness curve. <laughs> well, uh, personally, I could do without cheerleaders altogether. Yeah. Uh, but in this day of uh, constant searching for uh, equality, I guess if you're going to have them, you might as well have them from both sexes. Does this mean you're going to be going to Rams and Saints games, Ron? <laughs> well, I might be going to Rams games, but I wouldn't be looking at the male cheerleaders, I don't think. <laughs> So, I mean, it's obvious questions here. I mean, where do these guys dress or undress? What, what do their uniforms look like? Uh, Ron, I'll start with you since you're the cheerleader expert. Uh, do you have any <laughs> ideas here? Any well, ideas? No, in the NFL, as cheap as they are, the, the, these guys will be dressed in a <laughs> broom closet. Um, but as for the uniforms, as you guys know, I'm old school. I'm about turtleneck sweaters with a big big letter on the front, big R for the Rams, big S for the Saints. You know, give me, a, give me an L, give me an A, give me an You know, it would be great. How about an N-O? for the Saints. No, don't put him on yeah, the field. Yeah. No. And I'll be perfect. <laughs> yeah, Goose, how about you? You've any ideas I'm, here? I'm guessing the attire will favor the Jim Harbaugh look. Khakis and letter sweaters. Maybe they'll even have megaphones like they did 50 years ago. Ouch, that's not a good look, even at Michigan, Goose. Um, so, I mean, what do you think the fan response will be? Goose? Well, the fan response will be different in Dallas than it would be in Cincinnati, Detroit, or Indianapolis, I'll tell you that. If the Dallas squad goes co-ed, I'm guessing there'll be fewer television documentaries, calendars, and USO tours for the Cowboys streamers. <laughs> what a sexist thing to say. 
Uh, well, I, d- I doubt that the male Geos will get the same TV time as the women have, have gotten over the years, but you never know. You know, uh, Personally, I'll be watching the players and the coaches. <laughs> me too. But that's just anyway, me. I want, <laughs> it's just us. Hey, I wonder what happens if they don't stand for the national anthem. I guess we're going to have to wait to find out there. But we're not going to wait for a commercial because we're going there right now. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, enjoyed having Champ Bailey join us in the first hour. And as you know, he's eligible for the class of 2019. I hope you know that by now. Um, so, since we just got through with inductions for the Hall's class of 2018, I thought it would be appropriate to look at what's ahead. And what's ahead for 2019 is a first-year group that includes not only Champ Bailey, but safety Ed Reed and tight end Tony <clears throat> Gonzalez. Now, I don't think I'm exactly going out on a limb here by saying this, but uh, Ed Reed and Tony Gonzalez are virtual locks, I think, virtual locks for the class of ni- 2019. Sorry, Ron, first ballot Hall of Famers. I'm sorry, but um, and, and Champ Bailey, sorry, Ron, is on a lot of voters' shortlists, um, which might make it, as I pointed out in the first uh, hour, the second straight year we've elected three guys in their first year's of I'm going to kill and myself. That's okay. If- I'll kill myself if that happens. <laughs> I shouldn't say that because some people would make sure it happened just so that would happen. I understand. Now we've guaranteed that we're going to get these first ballot Hall of Famers oh my in. God. Um, and, and I said, you know, that's okay, except well, except there are only five spots for modern era inductees. And there's a slew of qualified candidates who've been waiting at the doors of Ken for years, as we've mentioned before, and can't get in because uh, we're in such a rush to elect Ron. First ballot Hall of Famers. There you go. And Goose, um... No way, uh, no, no matter which way you, you cut it, I, I think that's a problem. Yeah, especially for the non-stat positions. It's why yeah. Will Shields, whose resume screamed first ballot with 12 Pro Bowls and all-decade acclaim, wasn't elected until his fourth year of eligibility. He was a guard. Gary Zimmerman is one of only 22-time all-decade performers in NFL history. He had to wait six years for his bust. He was Oof. a tackle. Alan Fanica went to nine Pro Bowls, first-team all-decade selection. He enters his fourth year of eligibility. He played guard. You know, when we rush to enshrine first-year eligibles, some great candidates and great players slide. In many cases, they slide right on through their 25-year window of eligibility into the senior pool. Contrary to how we vote, the latest is not always the greatest. And that's become the rule rather than the exception. Yeah, and I mean, there's some glaring uh, uh, figures that... I intend to bring out this year before we vote, because since uh, the turn of the century, year 2000, this committee has put in 40% of all the first-time, first-ballot Hall of Famers in history of the Hall of Fame. So I would argue that we have totally forgotten what it's supposed to mean to be a first-ballot Hall of Famer, but let me enlighten you. Jim Brown, sit down. Johnny Unitas, enough said. If you have to go one sentence beyond that, in my opinion, the guy is not a first ballot Hall of Fame. Reggie White, next. You know, I mean, when I look at the list, I might agree with you on Ed Reed, such a tremendous force and turnover machine and right. you know, great, great player. But the other guys, no, they're not. You know, Tony Gonzalez, you know, was a, was a great player. So was Kellen Winslow. So were, you know, there's other tight ends who had big numbers. You know, Champ Bailey, no. If Mike Haynes is not, He's not. I mean, stop it. This is. I mean, but, but, but Ron, we've gotten we to the in... point where this committee, they, 
man, it's like the Audubon. Boom, we got to put them in there as fast as possible. This is absurd. <laughs> what, the Audubon? Hey, we put in Jason Taylor the first ballot. Oh, don't get me that's started. Set, oh. that, set the, that set the table for what was to follow. He put in Jason Taylor, and then when we said, well, geez, it's going to be tough to put in two linebackers, Ray Lewis, Brian, Brian Urlach is going to have to wait a year. No, he goes in first ballot. Well, you know? Think so of it. I think- five seats, Clark. We had five seats, and we filled two of them with the same position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's Last right. time I looked, that's there's right. 22-plus positions in the game, and we ignored yeah. nearly all of them. Stupid. Yeah. Um, so I, I think um, the Jason Taylor thing just shifted everything. Not to say Jason Taylor's not Hall of Fame worthy. He is Hall of he Fame is. worthy. But first ballot, I, no. I'm sorry. No. Um, anyway, so let's just say, Ron, all three of these guys make it. Let's just no, say Gonzalez, Reed. Yeah, well, I'm just going to say let's just say they make it, all right? Um, that leaves two spots for 10 finalists. And, and, you know, a year ago, same thing. We had two spots for Dan Fallis. And, and there were three offensive linemen who were top ten finishers. And, of course, cornerback Ty Law, whom you presented, uh, he's been a top ten finisher the past two years. Now, Ron, as I said, you're his presenter. Good. How do you like his chances this year with Champ Bailey on? Well, I think of what you say uh, uh, might happen actually happens, and I refuse to say it. Uh, uh, but I recognize what you're saying. He's in trouble. And so is Kevin Mawai and Alan Fanica. And I don't mean just in trouble this year. I mean in trouble, period. How about John and Lynch? John he's going Lynch. Backwards. He's going backwards. And let me tell you, if we, uh, you know, if it's true that, you know, that's just a damn shame because it didn't have to happen this way if the voters use some common sense. And, and let me tell you, if it keeps going like this 20 or 25 years from now, people are going to look back at us, the way Goose and I look back on the guys who didn't put in Cecil Isbell and Ken Stabler and you know on and on and on, Les Richter, uh, what yeah, the hell were they doing? They, Johnny Robinson, uh, they're going to be saying the same thing about us. What the hell were those guys doing? Yeah, well, let's let's just get something straight here. If Bailey were elected, you know, we understand it wouldn't preclude Ty Law from joining. It wouldn't. I mean, after all, as we said, we just put in two guys at middle linebacker and two wide receivers in the same class. But, Ron, I do think it would significantly reduce his chances. Sure. Here. No, no question it would. No, there's no question it would. I mean, it's very unusual when you have more than usually uh, those guys tend to negate each other. You know, we've seen it many times, when, and especially if you have more than two guys in the same position, uh, they start uh, knocking each other out and nobody advances. Uh, so the likelihood that you're going to get two corners, I think, is, is, is pretty damn slim. Yeah, and Goose, man, I do think we must, and I want to emphasize must, clear the cue of some of these offensive linemen who have been waiting and patiently waiting. A guy like Fanica, Kevin Mawai, Tony Baselli, or all three. I think we just must clear the cue at some point, right? May not happen. Bob Kuchenberg slid for eight Kuch. years and finally just disappeared. Right. And you look what we've done in the seniors. Gene Hickerson, Dick Stanfall, Mick Tangelhoff, oh. Jerry Kramer. I mean, why? Why are do we have to resurrect their Bob Brown? Why have we had to resurrect their careers in the senior committee when they should have been put in before? Well, they didn't have, they didn't play stat positions, so they yeah, that's right. I, I would not be surprised if if one or I hate to say two, but one or two of these guys slide and wind up um, with me and Ron in the senior committee. Sure, I mean, look, Coach is a good example. Anybody who knows anything about pro football. Uh, in the, the days he was playing, knows he was the best offensive lineman on those great Dolphin teams. And he's out, and other guys are in. That's a signal that we're going to hear from someone who doesn't have to worry about Canton. And that's our Rick Goslin, a.k.a. Dr. Data, who does know a lot about the Hall of Fame and what constitutes. And he's also a member of the Hall's class of 2004. So, Doctor, what do you have for us today? 
Gentlemen, there may be drama at the Cleveland Browns training camp where the HBO cameras are taping hard knocks this summer, but don't count much on much drama from the Browns once the season starts. This is the 14th <laughs> installment of Hard Knocks, dating back to 2001, when HBO paid a visit to the defending Super Bowl champion Baltimore Ravens. Only three of the previous 13 teams featured on Hard Knocks went on to capture a division title that season. Two more qualified for the playoffs as wild cards, but the other eight teams mastered the art of losing. Two of those teams featured in the Hard Knocks, the 2002 Dallas Cowboys and 2014 Atlanta Falcons, fired their head coaches at season's end. The Cowboys have been featured twice in the Hard Knocks, as have the Bengals. And get this, in both seasons, Hard Knocks visited the Bengals. They won division titles. Of the three division titles on Hard Knocks, the Bengals have two of them. The 2015 Houston Texans were the only other team featured to win a division title. The 2010 New York Jets were the only Hard Knocks graduate to reach a conference title game, and the Jets made the playoffs that season as a wild card. The Kansas City Chiefs, Miami Dolphins, and Atlanta Falcons all left the HBO cameras behind and had forgettable losing seasons. In 2016, the Los Angeles Rams were featured in the Hard Knocks and went on to finish 4-12. and in 2017, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were featured went on to finish 5-11. Like if HBO offered the Browns and their fans a 5-11 season in 2018, all of Cleveland would probably accept it. This is a <laughs> franchise that went 0-16 last season, and over the last three years, they've managed to win four of 48 games. Next <laughs> summer, here's hoping Hard Knocks pays a visit to the Patriots, Steelers, Eagles, or Packers. Give us a break. We'd welcome a change. We could spend the summer watching a contender on Hard Knocks. <laughs> so, Gooseman, which curse is worse? Hard Knocks, the SI cover, or the Madden game poster boy? <laughs> <laughs> I'd go with the SI cover. That's got a far longer history than Hard Knocks. Hey, Gooseman, I just got a call from the Cleveland Chamber of Commerce. They said, don't bother showing up the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You're not invited. <laughs> anyway, we're going to stop right there and go to commercial. When we return, we'll get one woman's, that's right, one woman's take on the best New England Patriot not in Canton. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, Karen Garrigan has worked at the Boston Herald since 19. 19- and is going into her 12th season of primary coverage of the New England Patriots. And although our Ron Borges holds New England's voting seat at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, our listeners hear him every week. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Anyway, they do. So in this latest installment of our ongoing series where Hall voters choose the most deserving Hall candidates not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, we decide to cut you a break and call in a new voice and a long time and good, uh, great friend. Karen Garrigan, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm always glad to come on. Well, Karen, uh, a lot of people mention Gino Capaletti, the AFL's all-time leading scorer and former AFL MVP, uh, when they talk about Patriots who deserve a bust in in Canton. Uh, Excluding the obvious of the moment, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, uh, what name is the first that comes to mind when you think of potential Patriot Hall of Famers? Uh, Well, I love Gino. That's a, that is a good name, but uh, a name that would immediately come to mind is one I 
see every Sunday, or have of late anyway, um, potentially down the road, assuming he stays healthy and, and is still playing the next few years, and that would be Rob Gronkowski. Um, a lot of people uh, consider him one of the best tight ends in the game, and potentially he could be one of the best all time. And he already has significant numbers racked up, and he has two rings. Um, he has 76 receiving touchdowns, um, and he has close to – he doesn't have, like, 10,000 yards uh, like a certain tight end uh, that just got into the Hall of Fame. But, it, again, if he plays a couple more years – his numbers will be right there, right, you know, right with the Shannon Sharps of the world. So he's a guy who's a dominant, dominant player. He's been a dominant player ever since he came into the league. And again, to somebody who pops into your head immediately, it would be Rob Gronkowski for me. Karen, another name Ron beats us down with is Stanley Morgan, <laughs> one of only four receivers in history to average better than 19 yards a catch. And he did it in an era when receivers were being bludgeoned up and down the field. He also played back then in a run-oriented offense in New England. What's your view on Stanley Morgan? Stanley the steamer. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I tend to uh, agree with with Ron in that you know sometimes these people these players uh, tend to get penalized a little bit for for the errors that they're playing in and um, you know he I, I think he, I mean he has over ten thousand receiving yards and. But, 557 or so receptions and over 70 touchdowns. I mean, he was the dominant player, at least a dominant player for the Patriots during that time and in that era. Uh, you know, he should definitely, you know, get consideration. I mean, he he played for uh, a significant amount of time. He was a... Uh, you know, a great outside threat for the Patriots. And, you know, his name, you know, he should get consideration in my view. You know, Karen, it's funny. I, I thought you were going to give us the guy who uh, was driving the snowplow in that 1982 game against Miami. Uh, Love that guy. Nominated for the oh, yeah. <laughs> Disappointed. That's you a good one. Him. <laughs> I should have brought, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> he was on work release, wasn't he, Ron? He was. He was. <laughs> Probably a personal friend of mine now that I think about it. He might be. Um, okay, well, I'm going to co- sort of follow up on um, maybe something that uh, Ron asked earlier. But, again, excluding Brady and Belichick and, of course, Randy Moss, who stands out to you from the Patriots' 18-year Super Bowl runs as Hall of Fame were? Davis of Law or Seymour? Or, I mean, who is Is there somebody there, Harrison? Is there somebody there who stands out to you as the most Hall of Fame worthy or simply Hall of Fame worthy? What? Well, the, the names you mentioned too. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in a guy who's still playing, Adam Vinatieri. You know, oh, yeah, these yeah, poor kickers, right. these poor, these poor kickers don't get their due. But I, I, you know, I can't help but think that the guy who has two two game winning kicks in there and all the 
points. He's amassed uh, three, uh, four, he's won four Super Bowls. He has, I think, somewhere over 2,000 points and 84% field goals made. His longevity, uh, I mean, I don't, uh, you know, even I think John Stenerud's in the, in the uh, Hall of Fame. If, if you compare their numbers, uh, you know, I really believe that the guy who is almost as responsible as anyone for the Patriots winning those Super Bowls with his clutch kicking, uh, I would make a, make a big case for Vinatieri for sure. Um, so I would, I would champion him uh, first uh, anyway. I don't know what you think, Ron. Yeah, well, no, you're right. I mean, the kickers, as we all know, historically have had problems getting in, but by the time he retires, I think uh, he'll be the all-time leading scorer, uh, passing Morton Anderson, who just got in. Uh, and you mentioned he's got uh, a ton of uh, not only winning kicks, but those kind of kicks that you don't forget, the snowball game, the last well, game ever at Foxborough. No kick. I mean, the, you know. The, yeah, the, the snow, that's no kick. I will never forget. I was I was standing in the snow. We all went down because we thought they were going to lose. And at that time, Ron, if you recall, they actually let us stand down in the end zone. I do uh, recall. <laughs> yeah. It was cold. <laughs> they let us stand down, and we were standing in the blizzard. And I and we were behind him at that time when he sent that ball into I don't know oblivion. I had, it didn't have a prayer, anyone thought, of making, the, I think it was a 47-yarder in the That's other right. direction. And by some prayer, he made that kick, which was just unbelievable, a miracle. And then uh, he came back toward our end uh, for the game winner. And, of course, they, they need to talk about a snow plow. They, you know, they, they didn't have a snow plow on that game, but they all tried to clear the field with their hands to clear right. a spot. <laughs> and he he made two kicks in that game, and those weren't even the Super Bowl game uh, game winners that he kicked. So, uh, for my money, Vinatieri's in there, uh, or should be should be in there. So, um, you know, we could make a case. You know, I, I know we we have a, a few other names in there. In my time here, watching. You know, what I would consider dominant players, players that I thought dominated or were dominant players. You know, I thought Rodney Harrison was a dominant player. Um, you know, do I see him getting in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? No. I thought Vince Wilfork was a very dominant nose tackle. Uh, he doesn't have sexy numbers or the type of numbers that would get you in a Pro Football Hall of Fame. But again, I know what my eyes tell me. <laughs> and the man, the man was a dominant nose tackle for a decade. Uh, he won two Super Bowls. Um, another player who probably might won't get mentioned, but I saw as a very dominant player for a decade, guard as a guard, Logan Mankins, right? No longer with the Patriots, but these are people. Again, you probably are not going to hear put up for ballot. But I would, because in my view, what I have saw, what I've witnessed, I saw them as being dominant players while they were here. Mm-hmm. 
And you're right. No, you're exactly right. Speaking of dominant players, of course, Ty Law has been a finalist for several years. This year, Champ Bailey is first-year eligible. Uh, Ty will be up, hopefully, for the third time. Uh, you saw plenty of both of them, uh, a couple mm. of the NFL. Uh, is Bailey good enough to jump the queue in front of Ty Law? Oh, God, do I hate this question. I really do. That's I why we this. ask. <laughs> I know. Gosh. Well, you know, you, you have a guy in Bailey who's obviously great, 12 Pro Bowls. Uh, I think he was the first team All-Pro three times or something. Obviously, I have a bias. You know, I I saw Ty Law up close and personal for quite a bit of time. And... Uh, for my money, again, Tim Bailey was great. He was awesome, and he I'm sure he's going to get a ton of votes, and I'm sure he might, once again, keep poor Ty Law out, out of the, the Hall of Fame for right now. But for my money, I have to go by, look what Ty Law did in the big games. Who did he pick off in that first Super Bowl? Kurt Warner right. for a 47-yard touchdown. He he had uh, Peyton Manning totally scared to throw the football when they played when the Colts played the Patriots. Three picks in the AFC Championship game. Ty Law was a huge big game player. Not only a great shutdown corner, but a great big game player. Um, that's what I saw. That's what I saw when I covered him. Yes, Champ Bailey was tremendous. 12 Pro Bowls. I mean, his numbers also, they both had around the same number of picks, 15, I think 53. You know, it's close. But I go with the guy, the big game guy, Ty Law. Karen, thanks so much for the time. Thanks for the vote, and good luck with the season. All right, guys, anytime. Thanks, thanks Karen. Thanks, Karen. All right. Good job. That was Karen Garrigan of the Boston Herald coming up. It's Hall of Fame voter Sal Palantonio of ESPN. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, you see him on TV every night, and now you're going to hear from him. I'm talking, of course, about Hall of Fame voter and ESPN national correspondent Sal Palantonio, who's here today not to give us an injury report or contract update, but to talk about his new book that he signed at the Pro Football Hall of Fame two weekends ago at the induction ceremonies called Philly Special, The Inside Story of how the Philadelphia Eagles won their first Super Bowl championship. Sal, always good to hear from you. Thanks for joining us. Oh, gosh. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, first question, Sal. Living in and around Philadelphia all these years as you have, I would assume this was a labor of love. So my question is, was it more labor or was it more love? Well, you guys are writers, and uh, you know how difficult it is to write anything, no less a book. Uh, And the deadline was really tight because I wouldn't commit to doing this until the Eagles won the Super Bowl in Minneapolis. And the deadline was April 12th. And 
they wanted anywhere between 75,000 and 85,000 words. So I sat down and wrote it in about six weeks. Oh. So it was, uh, it was a lot of intense labor, but it was a culmination of uh, covering this team for a quarter of a century. And so I was in love with the project from the very beginning. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't write it for me. I wrote it for my wife and my children and my grandchildren and my sons-in-law and my friends and my neighbors. And, you know, and when you live somewhere this long, the guy who cuts your lawn, the guy who cuts your hair, your mailman, mm. your, the UPS driver, every neighbor, they hang on every word. They think that you're a soothsayer. And it's been painful for a lot of people for a long time. The NFC had 12 Super Bowl titles before the Eagles won one. That division had more Super Bowl titles than any other division, and the Eagles were shut out. And so I lived that pain, not as an Eagles fan, but as somebody who was closely aligned with a lot of Eagles fans. And, and, and this book, to me, was a gift to them. I wanted to give them the absolute week-to-week inside story of what happened and how it happened because the Eagles, Clark, were not only a great team, they were a great story. And when you're presented with a great story like this, you, you really have to just get out of the way and let the story tell itself. Yeah, right. Um, in fact, it sounds to me like it was more love for you, correct? What you start telling me, it sounds like it was more out of love. Yeah, it really was. There's a lot of love and gratitude in this book because I, I wanted to thank the people who have sacrificed along the way. You, you know, you miss a lot of weekends. Right, people don't know right. you. You're just you're not you're not home there for, for a Sunday morning breakfast. You know, you're not home for Sunday night dinner. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know what? What I always love. What I always yeah, that was when people said, "I wish you." They'd say, "I wish I had your job because it's the easiest job in the world. You get to watch football games." No, it's not. It's not. Yeah, well, you, you know, you, there's a lot of separation that goes on. I, I'm, I'm celebrating my 40th wedding anniversary in February. I can't believe she's still with me, frankly. <laughs> uh, and you, you, as you guys know, I'm no picnic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, none of us are in this business. <laughs> so, what? Go ahead. What Go ahead, was yes. your best anecdote in the, in the, in the book? Oh, I would have to say uh, the best anecdote was the worst point of the season when Carson Wentz got hurt in Los Angeles. Uh, I was there at the L.A. Coliseum, and uh, the L.A. Coliseum was built in, you know, post-World War One, And so I, I, as soon as I saw Carson Wentz limp to the sideline, I bolted out of that press box and made my way down through the porticos, climbed down to the Eagles locker room, had a, had a commandeer a, a golf cart to get me there because I knew the story right then and there was not what was happening on the field, but what was happening in the Eagles locker room. And I got there just as Carson Wentz was arriving with Dom DeSarno, the Eagles head of security. And I, I looked at his face and I just saw a ghost. I saw a guy who knew it was over. And then I saw Zach Ertz. You know, he left the sideline and went into the locker room to pray with Carson Wentz and come out of the locker room and go back to the field. And the Eagles, with Nick Foles coming in, eventually win the game. But as I'm coming out in the fourth quarter and the Eagles are ahead, I'm, wand- I'm wandering along the sideline and I'm looking at the Eagles fans. And there is a, you know, a shock that has just come over. And there were 20,000, 30,000 Eagles fans easy in that stadium. And people see me on the sideline, 
And they knew that I, they'd see me going to the locker room, and they were looking for my, they were looking at my face. And a lot of them were just yelling at me, what do you know, what's going on with Carson? And they were all checking social media to find out what was happening. And I'll never forget that moment, because what was happening was happening in the locker room and in the stands. And people were just losing hope right then and there. It was just evaporating right before their eyes. And then, and then Malcolm Jenkins, after the game, goes to Doug Peterson after Peterson addresses the team and tells the head coach that he wants to talk to the team. He wants the team to speak with one voice before the media comes into the locker room. And I got a transcription of that speech. And there's no profanity in the book except for that speech. I decided to leave it all in. And when people read it, they'll be blown away. Were you surprised by Nick Foles? Well, you know, Nick Foles really struggled in the month of December. They had to fix him, and quick. Uh, you know, he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat in the middle of December. And they decided to lean on run-pass option. They had tried it. Uh, John Filippo, the quarterback's coach, is now the OC in Minnesota. I had a long interview with him about how they had tried RPOs with Carson Wentz. But ironically, Goose, they were concerned that Wentz would hold the ball too long and would be would be in jeopardy of getting injured. How funny is that? <laughs> so they didn't do a whole lot of RPO with him. But Foles had a really good uh, basketball player's sense of ball distribution. He was a great basketball player in Texas, as you know, at Westlake High School. Mm-hmm. And could have probably and, and could have played Division One basketball, but wanted to play football. And so he had a good point guard sense of distribution of the ball. And it just clicked. <laughs> and uh, I think we were all shocked that it clicked so quickly. Well, Sal, uh, you know me a long time. You know I'm known for my somewhat off-ball questions, so here we go. Uh, you did a full-scale biography of, some people have probably forgotten, a former Philadelphia mayor and police chief, Frank Rizzo, called aptly Rizzo, uh, who I doubt was the easiest guy to deal with. Uh, so who was more difficult to write a book about, Rizzo or the Eagles? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, well, you know, the Rizzo biography, which by the way, is still selling. They adapted it to the stage last year, and it had a, has a two-year run in Center City, and is now touring in the suburbs. Cool. It's called the last. It's called the last big man in big city America, and Patriot Pictures, a guy named Mike Mendelson, just bought it to option it for a movie. That's uh, not the first time that's happened. I'll, I'm holding my breath. You know, it's 25 years in the making, but. Um, Rizzo and I got along great because I was the first Italian-American to cover him. <laughs> and That's great. So, uh, Ronnie, he used to call my house every morning, and my wife would pick up the phone. And he would, every single morning, say the same thing to my wife, Lynn, is the head of the household in? And she would say, <laughs> and she would say you're talking to her right now. And he would, go, he would laugh, that big belly laugh, and go, ha, 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 ha. This is Pal Antonio, put Sal Pal on the phone. And then he would tell me a joke before I went to work. He absolutely was, what was, was a gem to cover. He was a gem to cover. And I covered his last two mayoral campaigns, 87 and 91. And as everybody knows the story, he dropped dead in the summer after winning the primary right. in May. He dropped dead on July 16th. 
1991 of a heart attack at the age of 70, and uh, I stopped covering the, the general election and just delved into writing this biography. And the biography spans all the way back to his grandfather, who was in Garibaldi's militia during the unification wars of Italy. Wow. And I, I yeah, and, and, and talked to a lot of his relatives about his ancestry. And, uh, and you know, so he has in his genes uh, a guy who, you know, would fight you tooth and nail to the end. You know, I, I, it's always struck me as interesting that, uh, you know, guys who start their uh, sports writing careers doing something other than sports writing, as I did and as you did, you know, covering cops and courts and all that. Um, again, kind of off the wall, but do you think it's helped you as a sports uh, reporter to have covered what most of us would call the real world and uh, guys like Rizzo? Oh, there's no question about it, but, you know, uh, a good reporter, you know, and I teach classes uh, at St. Joseph's University uh, every once in a while and teach broadcasting classes to young people. And uh, when I used to teach at St. Joe's regularly, uh, I would throw them out of I would throw them out of the classroom on the first day, and I would say, "Go find me a story and come back and write it." Because that's something that a, a New York Daily News reporter did to me and my classmates when I was in J school at NYU, grad school at NYU in the late seventies. First day we got in there, he threw us out. He said, "Go go down to go down to the the courthouse, the Federal Plaza." And wander around the hallway till you find a story, and then come back, come back, and, and write it right here in the classroom. So I, you know, a good reporter can cover how you make Jello and how you make rockets to go to the moon. You got to have curiosity and the ability to communicate. Sure. I'm glad to hear you tell that story because when I was at J School at Missouri, uh, years before I think you were in J School, Sal. But when I was at J School at Missouri, um, they had us pick up a phone book. And just pick out a name from Columbia, Missouri, where the university is, and you had to call that person and do a story on them. You didn't know. Oh, that's obviously. cool. Um, yeah, and so you just pick out a name randomly and go, oh, okay, everyone's got a story to tell. You tell me what this guy's story was. And I thought that was a pretty good assignment. Well, yeah, you know, it's better than Twitter. <laughs> 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 hey, hey, so, Sal, quick question. We've got about 30 seconds. you want to put in a plug for it because we've got senior nominations this week? We've got to put in a plug for Al Wister, Maxi Bond, some Eagle. you want to put in a plug for a guy? Oh, gosh. You mean for, for the, um, the contributors? You know, for the senior. Senior nominations oh, we got oh, this week, the end of this week. You want to plug anyone? Yeah, quickly? no. I, I don't have anybody on the list that I, that, that I am. Uh, that I, okay. You know, you guys do such a great job on that seniors committee. Uh, everybody that you ever have nominated that, out of that committee, um, you know, has checked all the boxes for me. So, okay. I mean, to me, I think my first year was the year was Dave Robinson, the Packers linebacker. And uh, I, I just knew that the, the, right then and there that the committee was doing serious work, serious worthwhile work. Uh, and recognizing people that deserve to go into Canton. So I'm sure the committee is, is going to do a great job. I, I would say for the contributors, which I think they're, they're meeting on August 23rd, I believe, in Canton. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think that the, the, the three that need serious consideration this year are Gil Brandt, George Young, and, uh, and the owner of the, the Broncos, Pat Bowler. Pat Bowler. Right. They're going to get it. Hey, Sal Powell, we got to run. Thanks for the time. Best of luck with the book. Thank you. See you down the road. Okay, guys, thanks a lot.
Thanks, Al. You got it. That was ESPN Sal Palantoni, whose new book, Philly Special, the inside story of how the Philadelphia Eagles won their first Super Bowl championship, is in bookstores, and it's there now. Up next is the two-minute drill. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Okay, guys, here we go again. That's the two-minute warning. Let's get ready to rumble. It's the two-minute drill, so here we go. Bud Light has placed victory fridges at 10 Cleveland locations, promising to unlock them and give away free beer with the first Browns win. So when is that? Whenever Baker Mayfield makes his first start. I don't know when it is, but my recollection is the last time somebody tried this, they had a real riot all over town. I think they should not be having beer and Browns for free. What's your solution to the new helmet rule? Simple. Play the game without helmets. That would reduce the number of head-first tackles significantly. <laughs> hey, for what's Gooseman and I agree. Take them off and see how many guys want to lead with their heads then. <laughs> play rugby. How should the NFL punish the Steelers for using deflated footballs? Make them play a fifth exhibition game next year. That's easy. Make them suspend Tom Brady. It was his idea in the first place. Oh, please. Why are the Colts sticking with Papa John's as a sponsor? The same reason the Cowboys are. Financially, it works for them. <laughs> I assume free delivery to Lucas Oil Field. Who's your early favorite for a comeback of the year? Andrew Luck, Carson Wentz, Tiger Woods, or Papa John? Tiger Woods. It was fun watching golf again last weekend. I say Carson Wentz has the best team around him, so I like his chances. Papa John, not so much. If Aaron Rodgers thinks his rookie receivers are, quote, piss poor, unquote, what does he say about the Baltimore Orioles? He says he wishes a team of that quality was on Green Bay's schedule this fall. <laughs> He says that lineup won't fly, except when they fly out. Speaking of Rodgers, he wants the league to do away with franchise tags and hard caps. How about you? Why stop there? Eliminate the exhibition season as well. (laughs) I agree with him. How about we make contracts great again? What's next for Denver bus Paxton Lynch? The analyst chair for University of Memphis football. I would say collecting on the Fire Lynch GoFund account that has been started by disgruntled Bronco fans. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio ordered security at Hallway Reporter, whose question he didn't like. How soon before Antonio Brown? Oh, no, Jalen Ramsey does the same thing. They'll never have to. That's what NFL PR staffs are for. <laughs> I'm just wondering what's taking Bill Belichick so long. Woody Allen approved the senior citizen remake of Annie Hall. Honest. So who from the NFL past or present should be cast as a 94-year-old Alvy Singer? The only one close age-wise is Tom Brady. <laughs> That's easy. T.O. He always seems to be looking for lost love. That's the end of the game. We'd like to thank Jeff Bailey, Sal Palantonio, and Karen Corregian for joining us. Jay Raft is for producing us and you for listening to us. If you'd like to hear this or any podcast, just go to our website, talktofamenetwork.com, or find us on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, look for us next week. At this time and on this station, we'll be here. We hope you will be too.